0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church of the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life He gives.
1: This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. How many people are familiar with Ash Wednesday? A lot of you, okay. So Ash Wednesday begins the season of Lent. And as Ian mentioned, Lent is this 40 day period of repentance and preparation leading up to Easter, Resurrection Sunday, right? And when I was a kid, I was in the Roman Catholic tradition, and I was an altar boy. And I remember Lent being the time of year where everybody walked around all day with ashes smudged on their forehead. And, and if you've ever been to an Ash Wednesday service of any kind, when those ashes are imposed, they're imposed in the sign of a cross, right, on your head. And, and the minister will say, the minister or the priest will say, Remember you are dust, and the dust you shall return. Pretty morbid, right? Pretty, pretty grim. And I remember as a kid wondering why people would walk around. It was usually lunchtime, at least in my town that I grew up in. Lunchtime, everyone would go to the, to the church and, and get ashes imposed. And then they would leave those ashes on all day. And, and I remember wondering as a kid, why do people do that? What are they identifying with? Well, in, in Scripture, repentance and ashes go hand in hand. They, they go together. In the ancient world, uh, people would sometimes demonstrate repentance by dressing in sackcloth and putting on ashes. And, and that was a way to, uh, for them to represent humility and the fragility of life. Right? And so Ash Wednesday is the one day of the year where... It starts Lent, starts the season of Lent, and it's the one day of the year where we intentionally remind ourselves of the inescapable reality that we're all going to die. And that's so grim to say that, but it's more than just that. It sounds grim, but it does something quite profound because it invites us down the path of repentance and down the path of resurrection. Because while it's true that We are dust, and to dust we shall return. It's also true that Jesus offers resurrection life. And so Lent, then, is is this opportunity to align ourselves with that reality. That we are dust, and to dust we shall return. It's 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 a season of repentance and humility and recognizing the fragility of life. But it's also recognizing the resurrection life that's promised to us through Jesus. And it prepares us for Easter, for that Resurrection Sunday, so that when Easter morning comes, when, when Resurrection Sunday comes, there's this celebration of like, yes. And so I thought we could kick off the first Sunday of Lent by praying a prayer out loud together. And so we're going to put this up on the screen, and I, was, I would love to ask you to stand, and we're just going to pray this prayer out loud together on the first Sunday of Lent, just to align our hearts with this reality Let's pray this. God of the covenant in the glory of the cross your son embraced the power of death and broke its hold over your people in this time of repentance draw all people to yourself and we who confess Jesus is lord may put aside the deeds of death and accept the life of your kingdom amen amen you can be seated So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke where we're told that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to fast and to pray. And so, of course, Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days to fast and pray um, mirrors the season of Lent, right? Or rather, Lent mirrors Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days to fast and pray. And we're going to look specifically this morning... On how Jesus, during this time in the wilderness, resisted the devil and resisted temptation. And then we want to look at what we can learn from that. And so I'm going to invite Kelly Mormon to come, and she's going to read our passage for us today. And do we have the handheld mic, Ian? We're going to read um, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we will have this on the screen for you.
0: Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, 1 through 13. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came.
1: Thank you, Kelly. And so here's what we have leading up to this story, is Jesus is 30 years old and he's about to launch his public ministry. And so he's baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist and it says the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. He's fasting and praying. And so Jesus is hungry, he's exhausted, and his adversary, the devil, sees this as an opportune time to try to derail Jesus or detour Jesus from his mission to rescue, redeem, and reconcile the world. That is, he knows that, that Jesus is about to launch this ministry into the world, and he's trying to de- derail him from that, distract him from that, uh, detour him from that. And, and so he knows Jesus is hungry, and, and the first temptation he gives to Jesus is, if you are God's son... If you are, turn this stone into bread. And he's trying to get Jesus to exploit his divinity, to, to, to exploit his power to serve his own immediate needs, right? Instead of staying on the path that the, the Spirit had him on. In, in, in essence, the devil's saying to Jesus, Jesus, why go through this? If you're really God and you can end suffering and you can end struggle, just turn this stone into bread and and eliminate your hunger. And what Jesus does here is he responds by quoting a scripture. It's an Old Testament passage from the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Jesus quotes that scripture back to the devil. He, He says this, that people don't live by bread alone. In other words, Jesus is saying to, to the devil, to Satan, that I'm choosing this, this way of humility and faithfulness, because the work I've come to do is much more important than eliminating my own hunger, than, than satisfying my own desire and immediate need for comfort. I'm choosing this because I'm committed to the work of God, the, the work that he has sent me to do. And so then we're told that the devil brings Jesus to a place where he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I'll give these to you. All you have to do is worship me. And he, he, he's essentially saying to Jesus that whatever path you're on to save the world, it, it looks like it's a big deal. You're preparing here 40 days, fasting and praying. I've got an easier, quicker way. It's going to be a lot easier than the way you're, you're going about it. All you have to do is worship me in all the kingdoms of the world I'll I'll gift them to you. And again, Jesus quotes Scripture. He quotes another passage from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 13. And he says, You must worship the Lord your God only and serve only him. In other words, he's responding to this temptation. He's responding to the devil by saying, I'm not looking for a shortcut. I'm not looking for an end around. I'm not looking for a quick fix. I'm not going to abandon God's way for something easier. Because, see, that's what the people of God had been doing throughout their history. That whenever things got hard, they would abandon God for something easier. And Jesus um, refuses to do that. By the way, that's something that we do too, right? We follow Jesus a lot in our lives, and and we're following him, and, and we're apprenticing under Jesus. But then when something hard comes, we often look for the easier the easier avenue but not Jesus he stays faithful and obedient all the way to the cross finally the devil takes Jesus to the highest part of the temple and he says if you're the son of god jump off here and he has the nerve the audacity to quote scripture to Jesus even the devil knows scripture And he quotes a scripture to Jesus. He quotes Psalm 91.11 to Jesus. He said, hey, Jesus, the scriptures say that, that God will order his angels to protect you. So just prove it. Jump off. Don't you trust the scriptures, Jesus? Don't you trust God? He's trying to get Jesus to be presumptuous, right? To manipulate God, to coerce God. And Jesus refuses. He, again, quotes scripture. From the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 16. Do not test the Lord your God. Right? Jesus is saying, I'm not going to exploit his goodness. My kingdom isn't going to come this way. It's going to come a different way. It's going to come through the cross, the way of the cross, right? And then it says this, the devil leaves him until the next opportune time. Because that's what he does, right? He waits for the opportune times. That's why he's so deceptive. And so here's what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning. I want to talk about how we, as followers and apprentices of Jesus, can learn from Jesus' example here when it comes to resisting the devil and resisting temptation. Um, John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, proposes this, that the devil's primary strategy to drive us away from God to drive us away, far away from God's best for us, is through something called truth decay. Which is why Jesus, of course, refers to the devil as the father of lies. Right? He's a master manipulator. He's a deceiver. And John Mark Comer in this book says that the devil's primary strategy to derail us, to deform us, Every every day we're either being formed in the image of Christ or we're being deformed. And so the devil's primary strategy to deform us, to derail us, is this. To use deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires which are normalized in our broken and sin-torn world. Let me say that again. The devil's primary strategy to deform us, derail us, is to use deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires which are normalized in our broken and sin-torn world. And so when you think about this, temptation is nothing more than an appeal to believe a lie. That's what it is. It's an appeal to believe a lie. Go back to our origins in the book of Genesis, right? The Garden of Eden. What do we find? We find the serpent the crafty one. And he's talking to Eve, and he says this to Eve, did God really say you can't eat any fruit in this place? What's he doing? Planting a deceptive idea. He's taking part of the truth, but it's really not true. And Eve goes, no, 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 he didn't say that. He said, we just can't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can have the fruit, we just can't have that one. And then the serpent says to her, well, that's because... God knows that if you eat that tree, you're going to be like Him. You're going to become wise. He probably just doesn't want that for you. He's probably holding out on you. And it says this in Genesis that Eve saw that the fruit was delicious for food. Right? There's this disordered desire of, like, yeah, I kind of want to be like God a bit be like. Now, is 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 seeking wisdom wrong? Of course not. Right? It's not. It's how you go about doing it, right? Wanting wisdom is is not bad as long as you go about doing it the right way. See, sin is this. Sin is, is, is simply trying to get the right thing the wrong way. It's trying to get the right thing the wrong way. So let me illustrate this for you. Is provision bad? Of course course provision's not bad. But if we go about getting it the the wrong way, then it becomes sin, right? If if we become greedy with our provision. We have more, more, way, way more than we need, but we don't respond in generosity to others. Well, that's sin. Provision, if we steal to get provision. Is is that okay? Of course not, right? So sin is really, it's trying to get the right thing the wrong way. Think of intimacy. God created Intimacy right? It, it, it's a good thing, but when we step outside the parameters of God's blessing and his shalom and what he, what he intends for intimacy, then if we go about getting the right thing in the wrong way, then it becomes sin. Think about influence. Is, is wanting influence to change the world for good a good thing? Of course it is. But if we use coercion, manipulation, we use people, and take advantage of others to get influence, what happens? It becomes sin. See, it's about getting the right thing in the wrong way. The same thing with Eve in the garden. Is wanting to be like God wrong? Of course not. The scripture talks about how you and I are constantly being transformed into God's image. Is wanting to be wise wrong? Of course not. But what the the temptation was this deceptive idea that you can't trust God. And it, and it fed a disordered desire in her that, yeah, I don't want to wait and, and, and do it God's way. I, I, I want it this way because it's quick and it's easy. Think of peace. Is peace a good thing? Of course it is. But if we go about doing it in a wrong way, it can become sin, right? That's why we turn to substances, right, to get that sense of peace and calmness, to to alleviate anxiety. Is that a bad thing? Of course not, but when we do it the wrong way, it becomes sin. And so sin is this unwillingness to trust that God is good, that he knows what he's doing. And and it's the devil's goal to undermine our trust in God, to convince us to to seize autonomy from God, for us to redefine good and evil for ourselves because he knows he can't make us do anything, right? So he uses deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires, which are normalized in a broken and sin-torn world. And look what Jesus does to combat the devil's strategy here. Look what he does. First of all, we know that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And so the Spirit of God is with him. He's spending time with God. He's in prayer. He's fasting, we're told. His mind and his mouth are full of Scripture. He's just quoting from Scripture. His mind and his mouth and his heart are just full of Scripture. And he's able to maintain this calm, quiet confidence in God's goodness and who God is. And see, here's the thing. If if you and I are able to resist temptation, if we want to be able to resist the devil, then we have to learn how to do these things too. We have to learn how to stand in quiet confidence in God's goodness, right? We have to learn how to be aware of God's nearness and his presence and his spirit. We have to learn and incorporate spiritual rhythms such as prayer, solitude, silence, fasting, Filling our our minds and mouths with scripture. We have to learn how to take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ. Right? We have to learn these things that Jesus did. Because that's why we're we're following him. We're his apprentices, right? We're his disciples. And so we have to learn, if we're gonna ever overcome and resist the devil and temptation, we have to learn what Jesus did. Well, the question becomes: what does that look like? Where do you start? How do I learn these things? Well, I want to suggest you start with a question. And here's the question. What lies are you tempted to believe? That's a good starting point. What lies are you tempted to believe? What false narratives are you constantly battling? Maybe maybe they sound like this. Nobody understands me. Nobody cares about me. Maybe that's a lie, a false narrative that's taking a hold of your heart and life. What about nothing's ever going to change? This is just how it's always going to be. Or what about there's just no fixing me? I'm always going to be this way. I'm broken. I'll never break free from any addiction. I'll never become a, a, a faithful follower of Jesus. What what about this one? God doesn't hear my prayers, so I'm not going to pray. What lies are you tempted to believe? Um, Here's another one I don't fit in, and I'll never have any good friends. I don't know how to be a friend. What lies are you tempted to believe? Can I share with you uh, one of the lies I'm tempted to believe right now? I don't have to. (laughs) if you don't want to hear it. Okay, I guess nobody wants to hear that, so I'm going to keep going. (laughs) I'll share with you one of the lies I'm tempted to believe right now, and it's this. The American church isn't going to make it. I know it's a lie, but when I look at all the division, all of the political polarization, the racial tension, the moral failures of Christian leaders, the COVID challenges, that the church has faced the last couple of years, not just our church, I'm talking about the American church, right? That I, I, I just, I can see with my own eyes, man, the church has really taken it on the chin. It, it's been hijacked and taken over by consumerism and racism, sexism, nationalism, professionalism, every ism that there is that is a detriment to the gospel of Jesus. It, it, I see it in the church. And, and I'm tempted to believe the lie. What if society no longer views the church as having anything of value to offer? It's just that building that's used two hours a week and takes up space, and those people are just judgmental and condescending, and they're, just, they're not offering anything of value to society. Those are the lies that I'm tempted to believe. And I know they're lies. So here's what I've been doing. Here's what I've been doing when I'm tempted, tempted to believe those lies. I'm filling my mind and mouth with Scripture. Because there's a a Scripture in the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 18, where Jesus says this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I need to say that again out loud. Jesus says this, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so I've been taking a minute, whenever I'm tempted to believe that lie, I've been taking a, a minute to meditate on those words by Jesus. To say them out loud. Jesus will build his church. It's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on the pastor down the street. It's not dependent on... Jesus will build his church and nothing's going to prevail against it. And what that does is it helps me change the channel and get back to my day. See, there's a, there's a question that pa- pastors ask other pastors. It's just a pastor question. How is the church doing? You know, I might be t- on the phone with a friend, another pastor friend in town or across the country, a friend of mine from Bible college or, or, or in, my, in the Ecclesia network, and, and the question often comes up, how's, how's your church? How's, how's the church doing? In these last few years, here's how I've been answering that. Man, it's been really hard. It's really rough. We we can't meet together in the same space. I I don't even know certain people who are part of our church. I don't even know where they're at. I, I reach out to them, but I don't hear back, so I don't know how they're doing. But Jesus is building his church, and he'll continue to build his church. He said he would do it. That's what my answer has been, and I needed to say that out loud whenever that question is asked. That, yeah, man, there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in the church, but Jesus will build his church. And that helps me change the channel, right? Just filling my mind and my mouth with scripture. And so I've been doing this for a while. This is not a one-time lie I was tempted to believe. Right? This is a reoccurring. Whenever I see a moral failure with this a famous church leader or or something happened with, with a child abuse in a denomination. Whenever I see that, I, I, that, I'm tempted to believe that lie, and I have to fill my mind and my mouth with Scripture, remind myself of what God, what's true, what, what God says. And, and it requires me to, to talk with God about it, to sit in solitude and silence, to, to, to stand in quiet confidence that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do. And so I wonder what lie you're tempted to believe. I wonder what lie you're tempted to believe right now. And how might you talk to God about that? Is there any scripture that comes to mind or that you can find to combat that lie? How can you fill your mind and your mouth with God's truth? Right? How might a posture of of quiet confidence in God's goodness help you to change the channel on it? You know, I want to give you um, again a little advice and a plug for this Lenten reader. And every day through the 40 days of Lent, there's just a little it's a little paragraph. Can I read yesterday's to you real quick? Saturday three five, read 2 Corinthians chapter five verse twenty through chapter six verse ten, and then it has this reflection. Look over the long list of Paul's difficulties in this passage. Is there one you identify with the most in your own circumstances? So what's it doing? It's inviting you just to reflect on the passage of scripture you just read and say, Man, what Paul talks about all these challenges he's facing. Which one do I resonate with right now? And then a quick prayer. It says, pray this, Psalm 180 or 18.1. I love you, Lord, you are my strength. Look, it's just a little paragraph. And if we can do this together through the 40 days of Lent, then it's something that we get to do as a church together. And we maybe there's a scripture you find in this, you say, Well, that speaks directly to one of the lies that I'm tempted to believe. I I need to fill my mind and my mouth with the scripture because this is one of the lies that I'm tempted to believe right now. So I want you to grab one of these on your way out. And, and, and if you miss a day, you're not going to go to hell. You're still, you're, 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 God's not going to strike you with lightning. Um, but, but I want you to grab one because, I, 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 again, like what Ian said, um, God uses scripture to form us. Right? Um, Well, I want to close my teaching time today by offering one more prayer for us to pray out loud together. I think Lent's just a beautiful time sometimes to read prayers. I love just to pray and and make up my prayers as I go. That's the majority of my prayer time. But once in a while, I like to read prayers. And I like to read them with my brothers and sisters so I can hear us all praying it together. And so I have one final prayer that I want to invite us to pray together. And I'm going to invite the worship band to come up. We'll sing after this prayer. But can we stand again and and pray this prayer aloud? Let's pray this prayer. God of wilderness and water, your son was baptized and tempted as we are. Guide us through this season that we may not avoid struggle but open ourselves to blessing through the cleansing depths of repentance and the heaven-rending words of the Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.